I'm just going to read the Bible for us. Uh, I'm looking at Romans. Only two verses. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's, what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. That's God-exalting worship. I want to take you to a, a situation where Jesus was uh, approached by a man. And a man came to Jesus and uh, he said, Jesus, Jesus, I have a question for you. And he said, uh, Jesus, well, okay, what is it? He said, Lord, what's the most important command in the entire Bible? That's it. That's the question. What is the most important command in the whole Bible? Jesus said, you really want to know that, the answer to that question, do you? Uh, let me just uh, summarize it for you, or let me just uh, quote to you what the most important verse in the whole Bible is. Waiting for it? Mark 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So you're saying if you, if you don't get anything else about uh, what Jesus is is on about, it is this, that you're meant to love God with everything that you are and with undivided devotion. You can't love God and love money. You can't love God and love this. God has to have the primary place, number one place in your life, and he has to be in control. And what we mean by that, uh, the word we use is worship. Okay, we're talking about God-exalting worship tonight. Now, worship is knowing, loving, serving, honoring, and commending God. It's not simply, simply about singing, and singing is a part of worship. We'll come to that in a moment. But it's all of life attributing worship to God. God is worthy of our worship. We live for God and for his glory. And so if someone says, what's the purpose of, uh, of, of life? It is to worship God and give him the glory he deserves. So tonight, seven ways in which we can worship God. Let's start. Let's get right in. Number one, I always start here. We worship God by living for his glory. Having such a perspective of the greatness of God that we live all of life so that he is shown to be glorious and majestic and beautiful. Starting in Revelation 4.11, you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. He starts at the beginning, he said, God is the creator, he's the one who's formed the world, he formed us, he gives us meaning and significance you ought to worship him and give him glory. And so I want to say to you uh, quite categorically that a life is wasted when you do not live for the glory of God. A life is wasted if you do not live for the glory of God. Because you see, we don't live for our glory, we live for his. We want to deflect all glory and all honor to him. So we witness for his glory. We teach for his glory. Hopefully what I'm doing now is teaching for his glory, not my glory, not so you might say, oh, that wasn't a bad talk this, 
uh, tonight, or that was helpful, or no, 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 I want you to hear it and think what a great God and Saviour we have. We minister to the poor for his glory. Uh, we love for his glory. We pray for his glory. We eat for his glory. We drink for his glory. We use our spare time for his glory. We work for his glory. We go to the ends of the earth through our missionaries for his glory. You see, we want the nations to know that God is good, God is merciful, God is glorious. And so we want the people in Venezuela, we want the people in, in Nigeria to know that Jesus is worthy of worship. Okay. The Bible says, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Makes you think how you eat and how you drink, doesn't it? In other words, even in the little things of life, not simply the big things, in the little things of life, think about the glory of God. And also in the use of your gifts, 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. So if I'm speaking now, as I'm speaking, I should do it, I'm speaking God's words, not my words, God's words, to bring them to you. If anyone serves, maybe a part-time ministry or youth group ministry or, or, or some other ministry, he should do it with the strength God provides. Why? So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Someone says to me, what does it mean to glorify that? When you say we want to bring glory to God, another way to put it is to magnify him, to portray God as he really is. See, our society, and maybe you have a small picture of God. Uh, sometimes people have said to me, well, God, you know, this guy with a, with a beard sitting up in a cloud, just wanting to bash us over the head when we do something wrong. And people have, have a misunderstanding of God. What we want to do in, through our life is show the beauty of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, as revealed in the Scriptures, as in revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ for us. We commend his character, his fame, his reputation. We've sung about that, right? We sing for his glory and, this, and his fame. We want God to be famous around the world, not like a, like a, a movie star or a, a celebrity or a singer, but because he is the God of the universe. We also glorify God by fulfilling his purposes for us. So you think about the ministry this year. When lost people get saved, maybe in youth ministry or kids ministry, maybe an adult or playtime, God is glorified. People will say, well, how great God is. When you experience Christian fellowship, and I hope you'll be at that uh, young adults camp, all the young adults out here, and when the youth go on their camps and you spend extra time together, you eat together, you talk together, you play football together, uh, netball together, whatever you guys do at these camps, right? and you experience the love of Christ and the encouragement of others, God is honored, God is glorified. When people grow to Christ like maturity and they give up certain sins in their life, they become more like Jesus, God is glorified. When people use their spiritual gifts for the benefit of others, God is glorified. Prayer or leadership or helping or hospitality or administration or healing or preaching or giving. When we, people witness declaring the goodness and mercy of God, God is glorified. So in all that we do as a church together, we do it in such a way as that God is honored. And let me remind you what I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this quote by John Piper, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Delight yourself in the Lord, the Bible says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in God, when he is your delight and he is your joy, you will have desires in your heart that are consistent with God's word. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. First question. First way to worship, do you love God? Do you delight in Him? Is He your everything? Do you measure the world through a relationship with Him? 
or is something else have first place? Secondly, we worship God by surrendering ourselves to Him. And this is picked up in Romans 12 that was read to us in the Bible passage. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Therefore, he says, in Romans chapter 1 to 11, the Apostle Paul writes about the fact that God loves us, that we are sinners and rebels, that we deserve judgment, but that Christ came to die in our place uh, to bring us forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And then it says in Romans 6 to 8 that we now have the power of the Holy Spirit to start to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And then it gets to 12, chapter 12, it says, in light of all that God has done for you in Jesus, and I'll take you back to last week, remember, we are redeemed, we're adopted, we're forgiven, chosen before the creation of the world, we have a certain eternity to come, sealed with the Holy Spirit. In light of that, give yourselves completely to God. Interesting what he says. He doesn't say give your hearts to God. You know what he says? Give your bodies to God. Ever thought about that? Why does he say give your bodies to God, not your heart? Because a lot of people say, oh, you know, I love Jesus in my heart. Well, that's not enough. You see, we have bodies to serve people. If you don't bring your body to playtime, you can't talk to people, right? If you don't use your body, you can't go and visit someone in hospital who's sick. You know, if you don't use your hand, you can't put your, your arm around someone and to encourage them when they're struggling. He says, use your bodies for God's glory. Now, one day we're going to have a perfected body when we get to heaven. Thank God for that. Some of you young people think, you've got a pretty perfect body already. Yeah, it's going to get older. Trust me. <laughs> you guys over here, some of you, yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> Right? But it's going to be a perfect body one day. But at this stage, God says to all of us, just give me what you've got. Right? Use your hands, your tongue, use your feet to bring glory to me. And he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In the Old Testament, they would bring animal sacrifices. They'll sacrifice them, symbolic of forgiveness of sins for the people. But he says, no, no, no. In one sense, you're dead, you're a sacrifice, because you no longer belong to yourself, now you belong to God. But I want you to be alive, I want you to run around and do things for me. Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, says, the problem with Christians, okay, that's scary, when he says the problem. <laughs> okay, let's stop, see so what the problem is. So the problem with Christians is that we can sing hymns like Onward Christian Soldiers on Sunday, yeah, we're going to change the world for Jesus, and we go absent without leave on Mondays. We get the Monday morning and you're stressed, you get up too late, you miss the bus, the train, you couldn't get to school on time and you met someone and they, they abuse you at the, at the bus stop or you had an argument with your, your husband or your wife in the morning or the kids just won't get up out of bed and they won't get to school on time, no one's had breakfast. And even though you're here on Sunday, I think, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. I want to worship you. I want to surrender to you. It's all you, God. Get the Monday morning, you think, well, I'll worry about it next Sunday again. Rick Warren also writes, surrendering your life is not a foolish emotional impulse, but a rational, intelligent act. The most responsible and sensible thing you can do with your life, your wisest moments will be when you say yes to God. No to sin, no to Satan, yes to God. William Booth set up the Salvation Army, and he wrote it, he put it this way many years ago, the greatness of a man's power, and we can add, and a woman's power, is in the measure of their surrender. Do you run your life? Does you surrender it to God? Let him run your life. Or take uh, Bill Bright. He was uh, a Christian leader in the 20th century. 
He founded uh, what's called Campus Crusade for Christ. Many of you all heard of that. Uh, in Australia, it's now called Power to Change. And um, in America, it's now called Crew. They got rid of the Crusade for Christ uh, name. But they brought out the Four Spiritual Laws gospel tracts shared all around the world, the Jesus film seen by 4 billion people around the globe. 150 million people have come to Christ. And I asked him, I said, Bill, why is it that God took your life, ordinary life as a Christian, and used it to bless so many? He said, I don't know why God did it, but I do know that when I was a young man, I made a contract with God. I literally wrote it out and signed my name at the bottom. It's amazing, isn't it, as a young guy? From this day forward, I am a slave of Jesus Christ, he said. The slave is, you know, the word doulos in the Bible, sometimes translated servant or, or slave of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I surrender to Jesus. Jesus, I'm yours. Take my life, use me for your glory. Thirdly, we worship God by singing to him. We come, often we think about worship is about singing. We come to a worship service. Singing is part of it. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. Haven't seen a harp for a while, but you know, and I've got some drums and a few other instruments around the place, and we're happy to have different ones, and anyone can to rock the harp, let us know, and we'll, uh, we'll throw it in. Uh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. You know, it's loud singing, it's uh, joyous singing. Man, I was at a wedding yesterday, and I, I still have ringing in my ears. It was a Greek wedding, the, the bouzouki and the clarinet and the sound. It was like the place was vibrating. We don't have to go that loud, right? We want you to hear. I can't, still can't hear. But <laughs> it'll get better the next week. But let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Sing with joy to the Lord, you see. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. It's great to celebrate. So I look forward to coming to church on Sundays, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 6 o'clock, because we sing songs of praise and worship to God. And then Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is what we do when we come together as you teach and admonish one another. You do it in your Bible study groups. You talk about the Bible and you apply it to each other's lives. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, how do you do it? With gratitude in your hearts to God. You think, man, God, you're so good. God, there's no one like you. There's no one who treats me so well. No one who loves me as much as you. God, I'm just unworthy. God, your grace is amazing. I just want to sing. I want to celebrate. Make a joyful noise. I like the fact that it says make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say hit the right note every time. All right? I don't know about you, who reckons they're not a very good singer? Let's have a look, let's have a look. Yeah, a bit of response here. Yeah, great. Well, just don't sing too loudly. No. <laughs> but, but I'm there and I'm singing and sometimes I hear my notes and I think, wow, that was really, really bad. I'm glad my wife is not next to me today. Right? But a joyful noise comes out of a joyful heart. God's not going to measure whether you hit the right note and someone's up here and someone's down here. They, they, musicians talk to me about all these different scales and B's and G's and F's. So I've got no idea what they're talking about. It just says sing to Jesus, right? Do it with hearts, with your hearts. You know, sometimes people say to me, oh, no, you know, Australians, we don't sing very much. And men especially, no, no, it's, it's a girly thing. Ever heard that? I go to football games. <laughs> Sydney FC fans. They're all boys, men, at the back of the oval. They're singing for 90 minutes. I go to the Wanderers. 
I, I'm a Celtic fan at the moment. If you don't know what Celtic is, not basketball, it's a soccer team in Scotland. You know, going back to my roots, my Scottish roots. I never knew I had any, but there you go. But their coach is an Australian guy called Ange. Of course his name's Ange. Ange Postacoglu used to coach Australia, but he now coaches in Celtic. So they're my favourite team now. Chloe knows, I'm always up watching. He <laughs> gets up in the morning and I'm watching it on uh, KO Sports. And, um, and they have 60,000 people in this uh, stadium. Filled with men and women, but mainly men. They're singing, passionate about their football team. That's what brings them delight. And I love to see a bit more passion in the men and women of God, about their God and their sa Saviour, Jesus Christ. Fourthly, we worship God by praying to him. See, when you pray, you say to God, God, you're in control, I'm not. God, you can, answer, you can uh, dominate, you can change things. God, I can't. God, I'm struggling with something. God, will you please help me in this? Help me in my work situation. Help me find a job. Help me do whatever it happens to be. When you talk to God, you acknowledge that he is God and you're not. Matthew 9 says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or our sins, as we also have forgiven our, sinner or our debtors, those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So if you were to pray that prayer, that's the Lord's Prayer, what you are doing is you are worshipping. You worship God by desiring that his name is hallowed or honoured, glorified. We worship by desiring that his will is done. We worship by trusting him to provide our daily bread and forgive our sins. We worship by acknowledging his power to keep us from temptation. But also, the expression of worship also has a community aspect to it. And this is why we're talking about together for his glory. Because when Christians gather, like we are now, and we've prayed together, when you gather in your small group, you pray together, when lead youth leadership team or kids ministry team, they gather together and they pray we pray prayers of praise together, intercession together, prayers of searching, prayers looking for comfort together. We express our love for God. Don't do it alone. Don't just pray alone. Have other people pray for you. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I get anxious about things every day, trust me. I know I shouldn't. I should just trust Jesus, right? But when I get anxious, I just call out to God. Sometimes at 3 o'clock in the morning, I wake up and say, God, all these things are happening around me. God, I can't solve the problem. God, it's you. Now, I'm too lazy to get out of bed and walk around and, and pray, so I just lay in bed praying. I'm praying for the peace of God to go back to sleep after I pray. I don't know about you, what you go through. Call out to God, because he is the one who is worthy of worship, who can do something about it. 2 Thessalonians 3, finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. What are you like? Are you praying once a day, once a week, every day? I think we need to practice the, the daily and the continual praying to God. You're walking to the bus stop to go to school. You're, you're talking, you're thinking about God, right? You're at work at lunchtime. You're, you're conscious of God. We need to be conscious of the presence of God. Fifthly, we worship God by listening to his word. All scripture is God-breathed. So this is the Bible that I'm holding up in front, of you, in front of you. It's God-breathed. God has breathed it out. In other words, he's inspired the writing of the scriptures 
for teaching, rebuking, showing you where you're making mistakes, correcting, showing you the right path, and training you in righteousness so you would be like Jesus, so that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We worship God by listening to Him. And Psalm 119, I love this. There's a, a delight in God's Word as well as in God. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. You're saying to God, God, please help me to know them. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. In other words, the psalmist has memorized the Bible. He knows where to look, uh, where, where to turn. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Friends, when you talk like that about God's word, it's not just a little book. Oh, I've got to, sometimes we, I'm like this. I've got to read my Bible. I haven't read it. And I, and I have a daily reading plan on my phone. And sometimes uh, tomorrow morning, I must confess, when I get to that, I'm going to need a bit longer to catch up. Anyone like that? <laughs> I'm going to, I do the Bible in a Year Bible reading program by uh, Nicky Gumbel. I'm not, will I confess? No, I'm not going to confess how many I have to catch up this week. But there's five. <laughs> I can't help it, I have to confess. Because <laughs> I want to encourage you. Because you're behind in a reading plan doesn't mean you stop and say, oh, well, God, it's all over now. It's February. I failed. I'm not going to read the Bible till next year. I'll try again in January next year. No, no, no. Start reading your Bible. Get it back out. Keep going and keep learning. That's an expression of your worship of God. How do you feel when uh, you're speaking to someone? It's probably happened to you and you've probably done it to someone else and I've done it too. You're speaking to someone and they stand before you, but they're not listening to you. Their mind is on the football or the pizza or the movies or the situation at work. If the next conversation, you're talking to them and you realize there's glazed looks on their eyes. You've just wasted 10 minutes of talking. You know, God has spoken and he's waiting for us to listen to him. Not to think about what I'm going to do next, but spend time in his word to listen. Sixthly, we worship God by publicly identifying with him. Naming ourselves, outing, we need to out ourselves as Christians, right? This is what I mean. Right? And whenever I go to places, uh, because when I out myself as a Christian, some people don't want to talk to me again, but when I out myself as a Christian, uh, I then sometimes get conversations about Jesus. Oh, what are you doing? Mate? Oh, yes, oh, sorry, I worked as a pastor, I help people come to know Jesus. Right, oh, okay, where do you do that? And we get to into a conversation. Or what did you do on Sunday? Or what did you do midweek? I'm sorry, I can't come to this meeting tonight because Wednesday night I have a group of 15 people come to my home and we read the Bible and study it together and we, we do life together. We help each other to keep living for Jesus. I go, really? You have people come to your home? Like, can I join? You do the things that enable you to let other people into your life. And I think when we think about playtime today and some of you at the younger age, but when people have young children... You just crave some other people around you to talk, to let the kids play, and some energy. And people start to open up. People open up in the major changes in their life. Uh, new work situation, new school, university. They're the times they're thinking about life and meaning. Marriage, children, family. Some people come back to church when they have kids. They disappear enough to, while they think, well, I want my kids to have some moral background or some Christian experience. And they, start, and they look at Christians. If they're looking at Christians who are uh, bringing up their kids in a certain way and they seem to be stable and mature, um, we saw that over the years when I raised younger kids here, parents at the local school, we just invited them to church, kids clubs, youth groups, they all just all came. 
We invited them. We used to go to picnics at uh, animal farms and say, yeah, yeah, we'll come. Because they just wanted to be around other people who were identifying as Christians living for Jesus. Sometimes it's good to uh, take a risk and have a good conversation. Uh, Millard and I, those of you who know Millard, he's a, a good evangelist and uh, we're at Westfield Hurstville going down the, the pathway to Forest Road, if for those who know that area. And down the bottom of that uh, Forest Road, there are two Muslim, two Muslim guys, and they were evangelizing this young, seemed like a Pacific Islander woman. And I was going to walk past, uh, and Millard said, no, 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 let's talk to these guys. And uh, I said, you sure? I said, yeah, yeah. Because two things he wanted to do. Firstly, he wanted to make sure they didn't evangelize this woman and she became Muslim, right? <laughs> So we started talking, and all of a sudden, as we kept talking and engaging with these guys, she left. We went, hallelujah. <laughs> She's not listening to these guys. And then we started to talk about Jesus and him being a prophet, and they said, oh, he's just a prophet. No, no, so he's more than a prophet. He's the son of God. And after all, we just debated Christianity, and finally, they'd had enough of us, and they left. But sometimes you get those conversations where you're able to defend and explain the gospel, and people won't like it. But identify yourself as Christians. So when you go to your normal coffee shop, see... See if you can sort of let it out, you're a Christian, and see where that goes. Because you know the Bible says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men and women, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So it's not simply speaking the words of the gospel, but it's doing the good works of Jesus. And people will see it. But as someone has said, uh, for me, it's easy for me to let the flashlight of my faith shine when I know you have your flashlight turned on as well. Two or three Christians hanging together, praying and talking about Jesus, and you, you have more courage to say something, don't you? Because your other friend might support you. I'm talking to the Muslim guys, Milat says something, I say something, back to him, back to me. You're able to encourage each other to do that. And I always say, we're not talking about bashing people over the head with the Bible. Just let them know you go to church or you go to a youth group or uh, you know, you're busy on Sunday mornings because you're at church, whatever it happens to be. Or you go to a prime time group or you go to a playtime group or a craft group, whatever it happens to be. But two other symbols as we come near the end. The Lord has given us the Lord's Supper. That identifies us as Christians. In the early church, as soon as they gathered, they broke bread, remember Jesus' broken body, and they ate it or drank of the cup, remembering his blood. But secondly, baptism. Let me spend a moment on this. If you're a Christian, then you need to be baptized in water. Because that's what happens in the Bible. When someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they repent and believe. Acts chapter 2 says, be baptized in water. And uh, baptism is over here for those who aren't familiar. And we go under the water. You could be in, I baptize people at Cronulla Beach and, and uh, Oatley Baths, wherever it happens to be. But we, you go under the water, identification with Jesus' death, and then you come out of the water identifying with Jesus' resurrection. And so we urge people to be identified with Jesus in water baptism as well. Surrender to God completely, do what he says. Finally, we worship God by giving to him. You spell love, G-I-V-E, because that's what love's about. You say you can't say you love someone and not give to them. When you love someone, you give time, you give talent, you give treasures. And in the same way, it's the same with God, isn't it? When you love God, you give him your time, you give him your talents, your gifts and abilities, but you also give him some of your treasures, some of the money he's given you, you become generous in giving back to the work of God. 
in uh, 2 Corinthians, it says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So he says to the Corinthians, you guys are good guys, your faith, speech, knowledge, but can you make sure, because you're a bit stingy, he's saying to them. You guys, you know, you're holding back your money, you like your money. You want to buy the bigger house, you want to buy the nicer food. You're good at those things, you're a bit stingy with your money. Make sure you excel, not just being average at giving, make sure you excel in the grace of giving. Then 2 Corinthians 9, the point is, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As a pastor, I get some strange mail sometimes. I've been getting some mail, and maybe my friend is watching this service, I'm not sure, but I've had a number of envelopes sent to me from Parramatta. And inside that, there's always a check, a bank check, going to the Baptist church here to support our work. And he, this person always writes uh, little handwritten notes, quoting Bible verses like the ones I've just read to you. Give cheerfully to God. If God has blessed you, give to others. And he also gives me little, um, little butterflies, plastic butterflies, puts some little flowers in every so often. It's unusual. I say you get unusual things. But it's his expression of thanks to God and why he's chosen our church, I have no idea in the world. Started with $50, went to $150, the last one was $251. And always a $5 note and a $1 coin stuck to the $5 note. We've got to unpeel it all the time. <laughs> but whatever's happening for that man, God has put it in his heart. If God has blessed him, he wants to bless others with that. And friends, I want to thank you because... We have funded ministry, I've been here for 25 years, we have funded ministry and missionaries and, and developments and work and school workers and all because you have given to God's work sacrificially and generously. Someone says to me, how much should I give? I don't think there's a law in the Old Testament, they talk about 10%, uh, but that's linked to temple worship, that's not part of the New Testament, we don't have a temple in the New Testament, we are the church. But the Bible says to be sacrificial, to be generous, to be cheerful in your giving. And my philosophy is always start with the 10%, that's what they did in the Old Testament, and see if you can add to that. 10% to your local church, it's my philosophy, and then extra money to missionaries, sponsored children, support appeals, uh, cancer appeals, Christmas, Christmas appeals, disaster appeals, whatever. Aim at generosity. Someone once said to us, uh, they said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty slack with my money. I said, what do you mean? He said, I come to church and I get blessed by all the things that happen. My family gets blessed but I don't give any money to God's church. So why not? He said, I'm stingy. He said, it's a simple thing I've got. He said, uh, I, I just can't part with my money as if it's like it controls him. You know, when you love God, G-I-V-E, you give to his work for the glory of his name. Friend, the Westminster Catechism um, has this expression. It says, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Let us together glorify God and enjoy Him, together in God-exalted worship. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank You that the reminder that worship is more than simply singing a couple of songs. Worship is more than simply gathering on a Sunday. Lord, we know that worship is complete surrender to you as God of the universe, as Saviour, 
as the merciful one, as the gracious one. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us in these seven areas to live for your glory, to surrender to you, to sing to you, to listen to your word, to pray to you. Lord, to identify with you and to give to you that through this church and through our workers across the nations, many would come and recognize you as worthy of worship and become your followers. We commit ourselves to you as we seek to worship you this week. In Jesus' name we pray.